Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Hootin' and Hollerin'. It's me, Matt Mitchell. I'm glad you're back. Happy to see you again. That's not how podcasts work. Happy you're hearing me again. That that sounds more logical. Either way, I'm glad you're back. Unless this is your first time listening, and in that case, welcome aboard. I'm glad you're here. You got some catching up to do. But not a lot. I mean, this is episode eight. You know, we're still working out the kinks here. We're gonna we're gonna figure this out. It's not so much a podcast, hooting hollering, as it is a journey. And hey, buddy, it's been quite a journey so far. But uh, a couple of quick things to get uh, to go through before we get into this episode. I thought I'd try some new stuff out. Talk to y'all about some other stuff first. Just some topics on my mind before we jump into our guest interview, which is, by the way, with Mr. Chris Wallen, songwriter extraordinaire. First thing I want to do, though, is give a shout out. Like I said, I would do last time and have been doing now for the last two episodes. If you give the podcast a five, well, I'd love for it to be a five star review. But, you know, you ain't got to do that. Just a nice little review on Apple Podcasts. I was going to read one each time. So this one here goes to the review written by Brank131. Brank says, Matt has been such a hit for me from day one. I followed him a long time, and this is some of his best stuff yet. Come get it, y'all. Brank, thank you so much for that. Thank you to everybody who's gone through and given the podcast a five-star review. The other day, I got an email that said that we're in the top 200 comedy interview podcasts. That's a really niche category, but you know what? We're there, and I'll take it. So that's not possible without all of y'all listening to the podcast. So thank y'all so much for making this a hit right from the start. It means the world to me. A couple of things I wanted to talk about before we get started. First of all, I got my COVID vaccine today. I feel like that's worth celebrating. Got that at the point that I'm recording this about seven or eight hours ago. So still feeling pretty good. You know, my arm hadn't fallen off. No crazy side effects yet. So that was great. What was even better about that is that I know some people are getting their vaccines at like hospitals or some like I've seen where they've been doing in like arenas and stadiums. They've opened it up to do the shots in there, which is really cool. But I actually had mine in Walker County, Alabama. It's very rural. Had it in place, little bitty town called Parrish, which is right down the road. They had a uh, barbecue food truck set up in the parking lot of a case knife outlet right by the Dollar General. It doesn't get more country than that right there. God bless Alabama. I don't know what your vaccine experience is going to be like that. You're going to have a tough time topping mine in Parrish, Alabama. I know that. Another thing, because I know a lot of y'all watch the Bless Your Rank episodes, and so you see my takes on food, and then you disagree with them usually. So I thought I could share some food news with y'all that I've been keeping up with. One thing that caught my attention this week, Chick-fil-A is testing a butterscotch milkshake. And... You know, what does that taste? Is that like a Werther's milkshake? I don't know what to expect, but I absolutely want to try it. Here's the thing, though. Like I said, they're testing it, but they're not testing it in Atlanta where Chick-fil-A is based. That would be fun. That ain't that far from me. You know, it'd be cool if they were testing it here in Alabama. I feel like we're pretty good judges of taste. No, no, they're testing it in Utah. Utah. I didn't even know they had Chick-fil-A's in Utah, but apparently they do. And apparently they think that's a good place to test their food. That don't make a lick of sense to me. Does it to you? I mean, since when do the taste buds of Utah ends? Utahians? Utahans? Utes. I think that's how that works. I don't know. Anyway, people from Utah. There's no way they reflect the taste buds of the rest of America, especially the South. There's there's no way. So, if you're listening to this and you work at Chick-fil-A, stop it. 
Bring us the butterscotch milkshake and let us decide. You shouldn't be testing this stuff outside the South. I mean, this just makes sense to me. I'm sure, I mean, does it, does it make sense to y'all? I don't know who to talk to about this, but I just wanted to vent. Maybe that's what we should call this. Matt's own personal hooting and hollering, because that's basically what I just did. Hooted about my vaccine, hollered about the Chick-fil-A butterscotch milkshake. I like this. Like I said, this podcast is a journey, and you are experiencing the ride with me right now. So anyway, today's guest, I am so fired up about today's guest. I've been looking forward to this for a while, ever since he agreed to come on and do the podcast with me. His name is Chris Wallen, and if you are a fan of country music, you have absolutely heard his stuff. He has written some of the biggest songs in country music in the last, like, 20 years. Don't Blink by Kenny Chesney, People Loving People by Garth Brooks, Something to Be Proud Of by Montgomery Gentry, Love Me If You Can by Toby Keith. Come on, y'all. That's, like... A crazy good playlist on its own right there. The man's incredibly talented. I'm excited to have him on and talk country music with him. If you're uh, not familiar with him, go check out his website, but also check out this cool thing that he's doing right now. He's starting a songwriting class. If you're interested in getting into songwriting or you're already into it and you just want to learn more about it, like from a pro like Chris Wallen, go check out his website, buildinggreatsongs.com. He's got like a freebie out there right now that you can get. So definitely go check that out. And check out his podcast, which is the Marty Ray Project Chats. You can get that wherever you listen to your podcast. Like wherever you're getting this one right now, you can get that one. It's that simple. But anyway, I'm excited to get into this conversation with Chris. Dive into country music. I've got some like great questions that I have been marinating on for a while and i can't wait to hear his answers so let's get into it let's go do some hooting and hollering with chris wallen chris wallen thank you so much for joining me on this episode of hooting and hollering how you doing today man i'm good thank you so much for having me this is this is something to have country music royalty on the podcast by episode i think this is eight is really something i've done it now I could probably just shut this thing down after this episode. We're we're good. Lucky lucky redneck, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I've got so many questions for you about country music because it's so amazing to have you on. Because I'm a a big fan of country music, and but you are out there making it on this whole other side of it that I do not know or right. can't even understand. Because I'm a uh, I listen to the music. I have zero music talent. <laughs> It's like you have a wall of musical instruments behind you. I would be lucky to correctly name one of those. <laughs> There's something down there to the bottom left. I have no idea what that is. But yeah, I, I have no music talent. So hopefully you can answer some of my questions. And maybe I'll leave a little more educated today. Well, I always tell people I have a $2,000 guitar, but I have $2 fingers. <laughs> so it doesn't match up. Yeah, it's not good. I've got fat fingers, which probably will not allow me to. <laughs> They're like little, they're like really long Vienna sausages, basically. <laughs> I'm just gonna jump right into it. Yeah, yeah. This is a question that I, yeah, it's loaded. Like, there's a whole lot to it here. Mm-hmm. But how does it, walk me through the songwriting process? Because in my mind, it's like you you have this inspiration. You write down a song. I don't know if like 
the arrangement comes first, if you have a beat in your mind or then the words or maybe vice versa. But then like once you have this thing written, do you decide I'm keeping this for myself? Do I have an artist in mind that, that would be great to sing this? How does, how does all that work? Well, it just, as far as writing it, it all depends. I mean, it, you know, sometimes, sometimes you have just an idea what's called the hook of the song and you have an idea of, of what a song could be about. Sometimes you have just maybe a, a melody, just a lick on the guitar or something. Which, oh, I kind of like that. That's kind of different and cool. And and it's just, it, it's different every time. It comes every time uh, different. I had a song by Kenny Chesney, Don't Blink. And I had that idea two almost two years before we ended up writing that song. Wow. And I threw it out to a couple of different people and no one bid on it. And I, I got the idea. You know, my I lost three major family members right in a row. I lost my mother, my grandmother, and my brother wow. right in a row. And within, you know, a two-year period. And so I kind of had this song and my buddy Casey Bethard came in that day and and he goes, man, there was, there was a motorcycle accident out in front of my house. And he said, this guy, there's no way he could have made it. He was doing like 100 miles an hour. And he said, you just never know when it's your time. And I said, man, I know. And I told him about, you know, some of the people that I had lost. And I said, maybe it's a good time today to bring up this idea that I'd been working on for almost two years. And it was just the right day that day. So it, it just depends. I, you know, I may have came in one day with a, with a melody or just something. It, it just depends. And, you know, when you're writing it, if you're co-writing, it's, di- it's a different thing. If you're writing it by yourself or you're co-writing or who you're writing it for. A lot of times as a professional songwriter for years, I didn't have the, I couldn't just write what I want to write. I, you have to know who's cutting that month and maybe write something for them or or you can also write something that isn't that. But my favorite songs I've ever written, a lot of them has never been cut. Hmm. So it it's just all different. It, it's a crazy business. Yeah. I always say that people in Nashville, especially, it's been like a bubble that no one has really known how it works for years. <laughs> right. And it's funny that it's just one of those businesses that kind of stays to itself. Definitely. <laughs> so, so when you have a song and you talk about pitching it to different artists, yeah. are you deciding like which artist that you want to pitch to or somebody taking that song and then you really don't know what artist it is that, that might get a hold of it? Well, usually you don't know, you know, I had a publisher for years. I, I've written for, you know, Warner brothers and, and BMG and and a bunch of others, and they pitch a publisher pitches your songs. You might write a song, and you know you never really know where the song's going to end up. I wrote a song one time for Christina Aguilera. I know when you look at me, you really think Christina <laughs> Aguilera. They're like genie yeah, in a bottle. You wrote that, correct? Yeah, exactly. You, a lot of people think that, <laughs> but um my publisher had an in with Christina Aguilera and I wrote, I wrote a song with this girl, real pop song, very pop. And we thought, Oh, this, this might have a good chance. 
before Christina Aguilera could cut it, Diamond Rio cut it. Wow. <laughs> Which is so weird. And it's one of the weirdest songs that Diamond Rio has ever cut. It's on the Completely album. It's the same album that Beautiful Mess was on. That's crazy. It's called The Box. And they put weird, like, funk banjo in it. And they countryed it up, you know, but. But it's just funny. You don't ever, you you never know where a song's going to end up. Right. Yeah. That's that's even awesome. when you think like, oh my god. And nine times out of ten, when somebody says, you know, when you say, I'm going to write a song specifically for this artist, it rarely works. I don't know why why it doesn't work, but I mean, I've had artists that I know personally call me and say, we want this song. This is the kind of song we want. And I write, in my opinion, a great that kind of song. And I give it to them and it never makes the album. (laughs) And then they end up cutting something completely different. In my experience, it's best just to figure out what that song wants to be that day and write the best of that song that you can write. Yeah. Instead of just chasing, because you can can go crazy chasing you know, chasing all these artists and what they want and what what their labels want and what they want sometimes is different as well. So, but like for instance, a song like uh, "Love Me If You Can," which yeah. which Toby Keith recorded, that seems like it was written for Toby, was it not? That song was six years old when he cut it. When that song got cut, and I tell you a funny story. I got the idea. I got the idea from that song on Jerry Springer. <laughs> I love it. Where I get all my ideas, just looking. <laughs> yeah, of course. Just looking for my family on there, you know. But um, <laughs> I was flipping through the channels and and I had, um, I was supposed to write with Craig Wiseman the next day and he's a big time writer. I was supposed to write with him the next day and I was like, I don't have anything. I don't have an idea to bring him. I don't have anything. Yeah. And I was flipping through the channels and there's this guy on Jerry Springer, pretty much the same guy they use on all the Jerry Springer shows. They don't have a shirt on, you know, who comes to a show with no shirt on where they get these people. And he comes and he comes and they're all booing him from the crowd, you know, because he's got like 10 baby mamas or whatever it's called out in the crowd. And, and he almost gets to the stage and he turns around and he goes, Hey, y'all, you can hate me if you want to, but I wish you'd love me because I'm just a man. <laughs> and I always tell people, I say, thanks, Earl. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm trying to remember what that music video looked like, but I'm pretty sure it was not a guy singing it directly to the camera. No, 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 no. Of, and that would have been so good. <laughs> so the next day, I went and I wrote with Craig Wiseman, and um, we, we wrote the song Six Years Go By, Nothing. Not nobody even looked at that song for six years. I got a phone call one day. It said, Hey, Trace Atkins just cut your song. And I was like, Man, somebody finally cut that song. That's cool. After all these years, somebody cut that song. Never makes the album. Never makes it. So one month later, I get a call. I said, Hey, this new guy from RCA just cut your song. It's going to be his first single. They said it changed the whole face of the album. And I was like, oh, man, so cool. 
Well, evidently it did change it because he lost his record deal two weeks later. One month later, and this is after six years of nothing. Yeah. And I get a phone call and they said, hey, Toby Keith just cut Love Me If You Can. And it got real quiet. And I said, we'll see. Because <laughs> you don't know. I guess nobody told them, did they? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you, you don't know the path of destruction this song has left in the last three months. <laughs> and so, anyway, it ended up what's weird about that, too, is an odd thing is, is the person, the person who cut that song on Trace Atkins two months before was a buddy of mine, Casey Bethard. He was he was a producer and he cut it on Trace. When I brought him that song back then, I said, I said, hey man, let's get together and write. He goes, Yeah, let's definitely do that. Well, in the meantime, him and I wrote Don't Blink. While this Love Me If You Can was being passed on, him and I wrote Don't Blink. And it ended up getting cut, you know, by Kenny. And Love Me If You Can came out about the same time. Right. And I ended up, they were in the top five at the same time. And I knocked myself out of number one. Love Me If You Can was number one. And Don't Blink come up and knocked it out. And I wrote both songs. Let me tell you, that was that was a good month in the Wallen House. I bet. That was 2007, right? Yeah. 2007, yeah. 2008, somewhere around there. Yeah. Man, that's that's quite an accomplishment. That's crazy to wrap my head around that. Just all, it's so weird that they, you know, Love Me If You Can was six years old, se- almost seven years old. And then all that happened and he cut it and they ended up on the charts at the same time because Don't Blink was cut, literally. We wrote it and like two months later, it, he cut it. It's so weird how all that happened, but I'm glad it did. Absolutely. It changed my life for sure. For, yeah. <laughs> I want to, I'm going to put you on the spot on this one because I was Uh-oh. thinking all the artists and stuff that you've talked to, worked with, who in in your mind is or in your experience has been the nicest country music artist that you've ever met or worked with? Man, there's some good ones. I have to say one of the nice ones. I got to write a song with Charlie Daniels. Charlie was just the salt of the earth. Yeah. It, you know, I mean, he was so amazing. It, it was the only writing session I ever had a roadie. He actually had one of his wrote, we wrote in his studio. I got a picture of it. And he was just so cool, man. He, he was so nice. That's awesome. And, um, and I'll never forget this as long as I live. We wrote this song. And it was so Charlie Daniels. I mean, it was so Charlie. And, well, the coolest part of the whole thing is we wrote it and he sang the the work tape. He sang the guitar vocal of the song and I played behind him. So I tell everybody, oh, yeah, I used to play for Charlie Daniels. (laughs) (laughs) You're not lying. I know, I know. So uh, he forgets the words in the middle of it. I still got it. It's (laughs) And it's awesome. It's my one of my favorite recordings I've ever done. Anyway, after we get done putting it down, I said, well, what do you think, Charlie? And he said, 
the only person I know that can say this sentence and it sound correct. But he sat there and he looked, he kind of looked off in the distance. He goes, reckon that McGraw boy would sing something like this. (laughs) 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 I was like that McGraw boy. That you know, uh, little little Timmy, you know, yeah. old, old old Timothy over there. Yeah, yeah, he's the only one that could call Tim McGraw that McGraw boy. I was about to say, if he was just like I could do, I could say that because um Charlie Daniels, or if he really legitimately didn't really know Tim McGraw's full name, if he was that McGraw boy, <laughs> that McGraw boy. You're I, right. Only Charlie could get away. Only with Charlie could do that. You know. <laughs> But anyway, that that's one of my, uh, you know, I got to write with Billy Gibbons as well, which was awesome. Yeah. But Charlie, that's two of my, you know, my top that I'll never forget. But um, Charlie was just so nice. I actually still have a fifth. I have a golden fiddle that Charlie signed somewhere. Uh, it's probably downstairs. <laughs> in a, yeah. In a vault. He signed to me. And it's a golden fiddle. That's incredible. It's always been in his possession, or did a certain satanic overlord once have possession of the fiddle? I I'm pretty sure Satan had it. I'm pretty okay. sure it, it might have been Satan's before it was his. Yeah, he had to win it. Yeah, just check it. That's awesome. This question was interesting. I mean, I'm going through your your like your work here, which is which is incredible. But I'm, I'm I really look at like we're talking a second ago about 2007 when oh, yeah. you knock yourself off the charts there. I mean, you really, I think, capture what the essence of like good country music is, and that it's a, it's telling a story. And I think that's what some of the best country music is: is that it, it from start to finish, it takes you on a journey. Oh man, I agree one hundred percent. I call it three minute movies. That that's the song. That's, that's a song that's that I love. I love to consume is songs that that take you, that make you feel something that oh, yeah. you, you didn't feel before. And, and not all songs are like that. And I've, you know, I, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you I've, I haven't written uh, songs just because that's what I do for a living. But my favorite songs I've ever written, and I've been really lucky not to, you know, not to have some of those crappy songs I've written be hits. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I would, I would not say it. I wouldn't love, I wouldn't love <laughs> that But lucky for me, a lot of the, you know some of the songs that that I really loved because it's hard after a while. It's, you know, I've written 1200 songs. Wow. And it's like, after a while, it's like, what's left? What am I going <laughs> to, what chord progression am I going to do? You know? Exactly. But I learn every day. I, I, you know, I love all kinds of music, but especially country music, but country music historically has been for, hardworking mm-hmm. blue collar people. Right. And it's about real life. And I, I kind of miss that. I miss that. It's not that much of that anymore. You know? Well, that's kind of where my question was going to go because I really felt like your stuff, the don't blink, love me if you can. One of my all time favorites, something to be proud of mm. Montgomery Gentry. I mean, those are like, we're talking about songs that are like where people make lists of the greatest country songs of all time. You're going to have something of yours pop up on that list, I think. Because I, I mean, I put Don't Blink and Something to Be Proud of. I'd put those in my top 50. 
greatest country songs of all time. Wow, man. And it feels like that era, that that really late 2000s, we, I, from my perspective, I started to see a shift in country music to what it became today. And by 2010, you look at the number ones in 2010, and it looks nothing like. I mean, you go through those songs and what those songs are about. It's it's not stories anymore. A lot of it was just, I mean, it was borderline pop music in my mind. 100%. And I tell you, I know the reason, I, I know a big reason for that too. A lot of people don't realize it's a business thing, but some of the reason for that, that, you know, I've probably been to Congress. I've been to Congress at least 13 times with the Nashville Songwriters Association for songwriters rights. A lot of people, you know, don't realize that historically, when you talk about somebody in the music business making what I call the big check, you know, the big, the big money where, where historically a songwriter gets the big money when a song is on, on the radio, when it's a, a hit on the radio, an artist, big money is historically has been live shows. They make a lot of money. I think it, Kenny Chesney makes, I think it's 1.5 to 2 million a show sells about $750,000 in merch per show. Somebody's buying the $40 t-shirts. It ain't been me, but uh, somebody's oh, getting yeah. it. Mostly because they don't sell 4XL shirts at the shows. But, uh, oh, God. I, that's one of my biggest <laughs> That's one of my biggest pet peeves. Oh, There's some big boy shirts out here. Come on. I know. A couple of years ago, I did this show uh, in Mississippi, in Mississippi Songwriters Festival. And I did it. Me and my buddy was in a JCPenney's. And <laughs> we're looking around, and this woman comes up to me, and she says, she goes, uh, can I help you guys with something? And we're like, no. Uh, and my buddy says, no, we're just looking around, seeing what we can find. And she looks right at me and says, you know what you need to do? You need to go check out our big and tall section. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I'm like, really? Yeah. She just caught it. And my, my buddy, of course, he, he's like, dude, she just <laughs> called you out. <laughs> Getting disrespected to the Belk would never do this to me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm going back to tractor supply to get my car. <laughs> I'll get my Carhartt. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah Carhartt never did this. <laughs> but anyway, it was so, and he, we talked about that the whole trip after that. He was like, you know what you need to do? Anyway, sorry, I, I got off on that. What, what were we talking about again? <laughs> The where country music is oh yeah currently headed yeah the road is I mean we're deep down that road now I mean I don't know if it feels like there's any turning back at this point but then at the same time I don't know if it's that bad because it's we're talking about like radio plays our radio doesn't sound like it used to but I don't listen to the radio no that much anymore I'm, a I'm, lot of people don't I'm doing pod I'm doing uh, playlists on Apple Music or Spotify that I'm listening to so I just make my own oh uh, what what I was getting to. Uh- before I interrupted myself, historically, record companies got their big check from CD sales. Mm, yeah. So what what happened about 10, 15 years ago? They started signing artists on what's called 360 deals. 
And what that means is every time an artist, when an artist signs, they get a little bit of everything that artist does. They get a little piece of the merchandise. They get a little piece of the publishing if that artist writes a song. So what that has done is every label, because they weren't, they're not getting paid from CD sales anymore, which that was the bulk of what, how they got paid. Now they've changed it where they own a little bit of everything an artist does. So what it, what that has done is they want the artist to write most of the album. Hmm. So now you see really bad a songs. lot of artists, they're writing their own album. And if you don't know that artist, then you don't get on that album. And, you know, the days of just a songwriter, you know, I, I've, here in the last few years, I, I've been transitioning into more of a singer songwriter, but for 20 years, songwriting was how I paid my bills, how I fed my family. And that's it. You know, that's all I did. So if I don't get on now, especially nowadays, if I don't get on a write with an artist, it's hard. It's really hard to get on that album. The song has to be just stellar to get on an album. You know, they're not just going to go on there and, and cut a song better than what they have written themselves. So it's, it's just a different world because when I first came to town, it was more about the song, right? The producer, buddy cannon of don't blink of, uh, Kenny Chesney, still Kenny's producer. He, back then, he, he's also a songwriter. He wrote Set Him Up Joe for Vern Gosden. He wrote a bunch of the, so he's a songwriter himself. He took one of his own songs that he wrote off the album to put Don't Blink on there. Huh. That would never happen today. Right. That would, there's no way that would ever happen. So it's just a different world, you know? So I'm, um, I've been concentrating on my my rights. I've been concentrating on artists, you know. My but some of them are my buddies, and it's paid off this last year. I, you know, at the end of twenty twenty, the dumpster fire of twenty twenty. You know, the end of it was actually, as far as songwriting was pretty good with for me because uh, I actually, uh, you know, got some cuts. Yeah, I was writing with the artist. And that's how I got the cuts. Right. Damn. And it's just a different world now. Definitely. So a big takeaway from that is the country music on the radio has been ruined by, surprise, surprise, recording labels. <laughs> well, and the, record, the thing about it is, is the recording labels, I mean, they have to make their money, you know, but a lot of that come from piracy. Yeah, no, it's been it's been something every decade with the recording labels. Yeah, yeah, it, it it a lot of that because it went down so much in piracy. People were you know people were could download any song for free. And nobody, I always tell people, I said nobody really gave a crap about us songwriters until they started downloading hundred million dollar movies, and then everybody was like, "Oh, wait a minute! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, whoa!" That's a lot of taxes. I wish that I could, um, I wish I could say that I'm innocent there, but I will have to admit that this is 
basically just confessional, I guess, to have a, a songwriter here to, to listen to my, hear my confession. But I did illegally download music back in the day. But no movies because my internet was not fast. My internet was barely fast enough to download. Your internet was I definitely could not download a movie. There was no way that was going to happen. <laughs> but that was early 2000s day. So I think the primary victims of my illegal downloading was um, probably Linkin Park and um, Usher. Oh, yeah. Well. Those, were the high, those were high school days. So, uh, <laughs> apologies to both Big Boy and Andre 3000 at Outcast. <laughs> Their attorneys will be in touch. <laughs> we're talking about... Talking about music, though, the last, like, really, let's say the last 10 years, has there been, like, a hit country song that you've heard that, I mean, that was, like, mainstream that you listened to and you thought, oh, man, that's that's good. I wish I had written that song. Do you ever do you ever get that way? Um, yeah, I actually text. I tell you, well, oh, golly, I'm probably showing my age because I, I don't know if that's 10 years or not. But I tell you, just I know I know the songwriters of these songs, and I know what other stuff they had written. Right. But "House That Built Me," I love that song. Let me tell you something. Love that song. That is Alan Shamlin, and Alan also wrote "I Can't Make You Love Me If You Don't," mm-hmm. and and a bunch of other like just amazing. He's one of my really good friends. Alan is. Every now and then, Alan comes out of the woodwork and he comes out with the song, and it's like, oh yeah, he's still here, yeah, yep, <laughs> yep. And um, so you know, a house that built me, and you know, I'm trying to think of uh, if that is, I tell you, a song that made me pull over, and and I think it, it's probably later than 10 years but it it was one of those that i kind of had to pull over on the side of the road and that is brad paisley when i get where i'm going mm-hmm. with dolly coming in there to sing in part of it on that i don't know if it was the original had dolly or not was it dolly or allison krauss i think that one no that was another. i think that one was dolly allison krauss came in on Oh gosh! She came in on a whiskey song, the uh, whiskey lullaby. Lullaby, yeah, that was Allison Crowd. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, that song. That's a that's a. I've heard that in a few funerals. That one's uh, oh, that man. one gets you right in the feels every oh. time. And that's what I mean. And you know, every song doesn't have to be like that. I, I'm not saying that every song has to be a really heartfelt song, but I want songs to make me feel something I didn't feel before I heard that song. I want a song to make me do something, make me dance, make me smile, make me laugh. And the problem is for me, and uh, this was going to be part of my hollering, but (laughs) songs that, you know, I miss songs that, that are for regular people and aren't about the same thing. Right. Back in the day, I'm a huge Merle Haggard fan too. And, you know, Merle would sing about how old he was. Yeah. You believed everything he said. When he would come out with a song talking about the old man from the mountain or, uh, or, or he, you know, he would actually say his name. I mean, say yeah. his uh, age in his song sometimes. 
No one would ever do that. Now, there is no way no one would admit to be being as old as they are because, you know, the, the label wouldn't let them. There's no way. It's crazy. That that would be pretty interesting, though, to hear a Luke Bryan cut of Country Girl Shake It For Me. By the way, I'm in my 40s now. Shake It For Me, girl. Be pretty great. I know, right? Yeah. That, uh, yeah, that, and, and interesting to say that about the song because I was, I was thinking about this when I was getting notes ready for this show was, especially like Don't Blink is a song that when it came out, I'm in my 20s. It's a great song. I love it. But then I listen to it now. Yeah, older, got a got a daughter. It really hits you different, and that's the beauty of like a really good song is that just across no matter of where you're at in life, it sounds great and you love it. But then like you get to a certain point and it just ages like wine, basically. Like it just gets so much better and so much deeper meaning to you when you when you get to a certain point in life that you relate to it even more. Man, I tell you, that song has really blessed me. Uh, not just, it's one of those that kind of went around the world and I figured out what it meant to me years later. But uh, just the other night, this last weekend, I did a show with Daryl Worley. Mm-hmm. I, I've known Daryl for years and we played played this charity show and, and I did Don't Blink. And then this guy come up to me and his wife. And they told me, they were like, I can't believe you're here right now because, you know, they told me this story about they have this, this daughter that's going off to college and, and they, they just dropped her off and they got back in the car and don't blink was playing. (laughs) And he was like, I, he was like, my wife couldn't drive. He, you know, yeah. he goes, I, she, I had to take, I had to get on the driver's side because she was bawling uncontrollably for 15 minutes yep. because of that song. And, um, he was like, and three days later we come to this show and here you are. It's a gut punch. One of those songs get you and it'll blindside you. It's not, it's like a sucker gut punch. Cause you don't think it's coming either. Nobody puts that song on. I don't know. Some people do. It's like, all right. Time to cry. You know, it's just kind of like, it just kind of plays. It's like the next song on a playlist and you're just like singing along and then you stop and you're like, oh gosh, this got real. This just got, this got real, real. Just now. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and that's the thing. If that's the thing about songwriting is, is I always strive to, no matter what it is, every song you've ever heard has a, has a core feeling that everybody either wants to feel or has felt before. That's the the trick to writing, in my opinion, songs that matter is finding that core. What is the core feeling of that song? And can, how many people can relate to that? Yeah. And and you write a song that in every line in the song, you, you, you think of that core feeling. I'm doing a, um, songwriting course called building great songs and in it i talk about the narrator and there's a narrator in every song and it's not the singer it's it's a character because every song has every i mean when you're a songwriter you're basically uh, a song is just a movie a three-minute movie and you're acting through words and melody so you got to figure out who you're casting for that role. 
and what would they say and how would they say it? Yeah. And um, so when you're uh, so when you're writing lyrics to a song, you think about what that person, you know, what would they wear? What you know? What how how do they talk? And 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 kind of put yourself in the mindset of that person and talk like that in the song, and right. uh, and I and it makes it more authentic. And I I'm you know for me I look for authenticity in songs and and are people going to relate to it and what core feeling is that going to bring out in them and that song uh, like i said before i definitely knew the feeling of thinking you had more time than what you did yeah you know so i i drew from that on that song definitely yeah it, it hits home. You you you've made a lot of people cry on their afternoon commute. I hope you're happy. <laughs> uh, well, let's get into it, Chris. To what you're uh, hooting and hollering about. We'll start with the hooting. So, what is something that Chris Walton is hooting about right now? What are you, what are you excited about? Man, a couple of th- a few things. Eddie Montgomery from Montgomery Gentry. Yeah, as they those guys have been so good at, to me through the years, you know, uh, cutting my songs. And Eddie's a great friend of mine; he's one of my best friends. And he has a new solo record coming out, and I've been writing with him, and I have five songs on that new solo record. Oh wow! And it's really, I think, not and ha- not even having anything to do with my songs. It's going to be one of his best records he's come out with. It's it's going to be like the old Montgomery Gentry. I, I really look forward to that record coming out. Also, I'm going to have a song on Ronnie Dunn's new solo record. Ronnie Dunn is doing a new solo record, and I've got one called Honky Tonk Skin is the name of it. <laughs> nice. And I've been writing with Aaron Lewis. Aaron Lewis was the lead singer of the band Stain, the the rock guy. Oh yeah, wow. Well, he people don't realize he puts out the most traditional country albums in Nashville right now. I that I'm one of those people that didn't know that. Yeah, he he really is putting out like, and so I'm I think I'm going to end up with a couple on his his next record. We've been writing a lot together, and we I had a song with him called. <laughs> I actually had a song uh, on his last record that was making fun of new, some of the new country singers. <laughs> oh, <that's- laughs> Check it out. It's called, uh, well, they changed, they changed the title. What was the new title? Uh, it keeps on working is the name. Of it. Go check that out if you get a chance. But anyway, oh, yeah. so, so that I'm, I'm excited about all those. And what I'm really excited about, I've really been working hard on is uh, for all the uh, new songwriters out there the uh, that are kind of frustrated, I always say that, you know, I remember back when I, when I couldn't get the song in my head onto the piece of paper. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. so I have created a, an online songwriting course. And it's called Building Great Songs. You can go to buildinggreatsongs.com. And, you, and right now I have a free, you can get on, uh, I have 
top 10 costly mistakes new songwriters make. It's a free download and it gets you on the email list that I'm going to be coming out with Building Great Songs course here in a couple of months. And if you get on that email list, you'll hear all about it. But the top 10 costly mistakes new songwriters make is just a free download I did that it kind of goes over some of the biggest mistakes that I've seen new songwriters make. And it, it, it's really a helpful tool. And so I, I've been working on that and I've been learning about marketing. You know, I, I just feel I've always been terrible at marketing. I'm like, I'm just, I've been, like I said, I've been writing songs for a living for 20 years. I haven't really got into that. In this last few months, I've been learning about online marketing about lead magnets and and uh and sales funnels and all kinds of crazy stuff but it's all kind of greek to me but i just want to put out a i just want to put out something that helps new songwriters and and be a part of great music in whichever way that i can you know and i thought well if i can try to write the best music i can and at the same time make something that will help new songwriters give them tools to to write better songs and maybe that'll help later on as well so buildinggreatsongs.com is is where to start well for those of us that have no musical talent but enjoy listening to music we appreciate that that you're helping a new generation of songwriters because <laughs> that will help would you say that this class is like just for people who are interested in writing country songs or is it for like every genre not just country uh, uh i touch on country stuff but i tell you a lot of the stuff that i do is multi-genre uh, it, it's actually it's tools that you can use on any genre of music and a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of there's a lot of tools, a lot of techniques. Whether you're writing thrash metal or country or whatever, and yeah. there's a there's a lot of techniques that uh, that people use that can help you uh, in whatever you're writing. So I, I've made I've kind of I, I was talking about this yesterday about. Someone was asking me, is it, is it for somebody who's just starting out who has never written a song or is it for someone who is, you know, pretty versed at it? And, and I've kept it purposely down the middle. You know, you can get so far into music theory and everything that someone that is just starting, it just kind of goes over their head and they gloss over and they really don't learn anything. Yeah. And at the same time, you could, the other way, you don't want to get too, too simple. Because the the people who real already kind of know what they're doing, they don't want to be bored. So what I did is I, is I, as I kind of stayed in the middle and I didn't get over complicated. I wanted to keep it simple, but I didn't put a lot of fluff in there either. So I, th- I think it it, it kind of straddles the line pretty good. If it can help someone just starting out, or it can help someone that's that's uh, further, you know, further in the craft as well. So I'm I'm really excited about that about getting that out there. I'm excited you're doing it for the sake of music because it <laughs> it needs it. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, what my buddy Jeffrey Steele said, we call each other no count. He goes no count. He said I do believe we're in the era of lyrical regression. 
that's that's a very that's a that's a good way to put it that's a nicer way to put it than than i would call it yeah yeah here's the thing is it i do understand you know there's there's a time and place for all different kinds of song but nowadays it's it's just kind of getting to me kind of sounds like the same song a lot of times oh absolutely yeah so uh anyway that's that's what i'm excited about and uh and and i've really been working on that and it's going to be coming out probably in a couple of months so if anybody's interested in that just go to buildinggreatsongs.com sounds awesome so Let's jump into then the second part of hooting and hollering, the hollering part. Mm-hmm. The part uh, we talk about what is Chris Wallen frustrated, angry, upset with right now? Just let it off your chest. Let's go. Man, I tell you. It's like free therapy. Oh, man. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, it's, it's such a weird, you know, in this year, you know, after last year, you know, <laughs> it's. I'm just, you know, it's it's just a crazy, crazy time. And um, especially, I mean, you know, what I did, you know, I, I was doing shows. I was doing corporate events where yeah. I go and, and, and I sing my songs and I tell story, the stories behind the songs. And, and I, I well, that's pretty cool corporate thing and shows. Of course, that just cut off like a night. Yeah. And yep. everything that I did to make money was gone you know we have an airbnb at this house and um my wife's from south dakota and she uh she's up there with her mom she's been up there for about six months helping her mom i've been here by myself taking care of the airbnb so i've been the cleaning lady (laughs) (laughs) at the same time trying to build this course at the same time trying to learn all the software I had a, a guest coming in and I had to do this interview with American songwriter magazine. Oh, wow. So American songwriter magazine, I'm, I'm trying to push this building thing. Yeah. I'm telling them about it. And, you know, I'm trying to sound like, you know, you, you know, when you're talking, you're trying to sound, speak with authority, you know, and he's asking me about don't blink and, and you know how far the song went, and in the background, I don't know if you heard it, but you heard <laughs> your Windex bottle just to go. No, that was me scrubbing a toilet. <laughs> so I was scrubbing a toilet while I was t- trying to act big. You know this this song this you know big song I wrote and try to you know tell him uh, you know all the trying to you know act. And I'm said, yeah, yeah, man, that song really. Did- and I, and I was scrubbing a toilet while I was talking to him. He had no idea. <laughs> so now when I, I saw it, they, they uh, published the article on me, on American Songwriter. Now every time I see that article, I think <laughs> I think of me scrubbing a toilet. Well, I was like, you know, you got to do what you got to do, man. You got to, it's in this, this, this year, especially I, I've, I've broadened, I've had to broaden myself so much. Because back in the day, man, everything that wasn't songwriting, I pushed away because that's how I was making my money. It's how I was paying my bills. But nowadays, man, you have to do a little bit of everything. Now you gotta, you know, 
you know, I'm doing some voiceovers here and there. I'm doing, you know, I'm uh, writing these song, writing songs, of course. I'm producing, you know, I produce some records here and there. And yeah. just, uh, you know, I do a little bit of everything. You have to now. I mean, it, it's, it, it's one of those things where you have to, you know, you have to branch out. You know, you just can't make it nowadays if you don't, if you don't do something different here and there, but hopefully it gets a lot better. I'm already getting some bookings. I'm already getting some bookings for this year. So, uh, I'm excited about that. Yeah. But yeah, 2020, man, it was, it was not a good, the finest year for me or anyone. <laughs> no, I, was about to say, I don't think many people would come out of it saying, huh? you know what? 2020 great year for me. A lot came out on top out of that. Oh man, it was awesome. Then they got a duck. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, so do you think? I mean, hearing when you talk about like not just you, but like it seemed like the whole industry how yeah. 2020 took them off the road and really put them at home to oh, really man. work on their craft. Do you think? I mean, what do you think is going to happen to music once we are fully out of this and people are going back on the road and we kind of get back to you know normal what whatever that is? Do you do you do you see any kind of shift in country music? Well, I tell you what has happened. There is a lot of songwriters and singers, a, a few of my friends that have kind of transitioned into their own thing, into YouTube. My buddy, Marty Ray, that I do the podcast with, um, I mean, he has 1.3 million fans that he goes to directly. Yeah. You know, and, and he sells merch and he, you know, and another buddy of mine, Alan Cooper, uh, no Cooper Allen. Golly. I always get that mixed up. Cooper Allen. He has 2 million TikTok followers and he does his own thing. I mean, he, you know, I mean, you know, some of those guys, they probably wouldn't take a record deal if they were offered one because the first thing they're going to do is cut your, you know, you, you're going to get, you're not going to be able to get hardly any of the money. They're going to pay you a little something that you have to pay back. Some of these guys are going to make a lot more money by themselves than they would if they had a record deal. So it, it's the day of, and now, and now the, uh, I know for a fact that record labels are approaching some of those guys. Because they already have yeah. something going on. They don't have to put a bunch of money into them. They already have a fan base. Yep. Yeah. So I, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. It's funny you said that too. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, I hadn't thought of that until you, you start talking about it, but I, I've noticed that over the years, and it seems to be more and more commonplace in other genres of music where they will just cut a, a, a track for streaming and just let it go. And it just takes off, and they'll just do one track. But I haven't really seen that that much in country music. It's all been about albums. Yeah, and I think that's changing. I think that's changing. I, I think the single is because you know there there are some of them that are still doing albums, but but I, I will say this is what I've seen is in country music, which is kind of odd. They've actually started doing bigger albums because they're going to put out more singles from an album because, you know, remember back in the nineties, man, like Garth Brooks, 
I mean, he would put out seven to eight singles on yeah. a record. And now on an album, you might get two singles, maybe off an entire album. But I think from what I've seen uh, country music, I think they're wanting to put out more singles because it's all about content now. It's what they need one thing after the other. They need something coming out every few weeks to keep yep. the attention because the attention span is so short. Now you always have to have, you know, I always tell people like, it's, it's kind of like the news cycle used to used to have, you know, the, uh, Walter Cronkite actually coming out maybe once or twice during the day and telling you the news. And that was the news. And that was it. Well, now you have a 24 hour news cycle and people have to constantly be reporting on something over and over and over again because it's their job and it's money coming in. Well, I think that's happening with music is, is, you know, you have to, constantly have content coming out and you can't just go in like they used to and put out an album every two or three years and put out a couple of singles and have that float you because right. You know, it, it, it's just it, the music industry pie is changing and on, on what pace, what, I mean, we just have to figure out where we are in that, in that pie because, you know, Everybody always says that streaming is the future. And I'll be honest with you. I really hope not. I know it probably is, but I got to tell you, don't blink. Let's say uh, I, I actually took this to Congress a few years ago. I took my, my uh, statement to Congress. Don't blink on a quarter when we get paid quarterly on, on it and it, on a, so three month period, don't blink at one time, got 17.3 million spins. So out of 17.3 million times that song was listened to, my part was $103. What? For Pandora. Out of all, out of 17, that, that was the check you were cut for the 17 cut, my million. My part was $103 from Pandora for 17 million spins. Holy crap. So when people, you know, talk about streaming, we have to, we have to figure out how to make that fair to everyone again, because we people don't realize too. This is another thing that people get mistaken. And um, when you listen to a song on radio or, or wherever streaming, wherever, if you listen to a song, there's two types of um, there's two types of uh, royalties. There's the songwriter royalties, and then there's the master royalties which the master royalties is the label and artist. The songwriter royalties is the publisher and songwriter. The difference between what a master royalty pays and a songwriter royalty pays, 
the decimal point moves two times. <laughs> it is way more on. So, so when you see artists and everything, they're loving Spotify and they're loving, you know, because it pays way more. If you're a songwriter that's making your living writing songs, yeah. that's a different story. I mean, I, I literally get, you know, I mean, I get not pennies on the dollar. You get, I mean, at one time, I think it's point zero 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 four cents for a spin on Spotify. It's a very small penny. Yeah, it's, that's the thing. Is the difference? It's like you know, on a radio, you know what you get paid on radio. Yeah, dwarfs. I mean, it just dwarfs something that is paid on Spotify. So, so it's that's the thing. Is I really hope that they that they find a fair. Uh, substitute for what they have now because it, it it'll get really scary out there you think music is bad now <laughs> you just, just you wait yeah just you wait yeah. oh wow well there's gotta be a solution to that because it's crazy that i can go listen to the radio and it costs me absolutely nothing but i'm paying a monthly subscription for a family plan for apple music yeah uh, that's coming out of my pocket. And I've been doing that for years because I, I think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread to be able just to go listen to whatever song I want. Well, yeah. And on radio, the thing about radio is, is they are getting paid. They're, they're getting, if I'm not mistaken, from it's like around $800 million for ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC, which is the performing rights organizations that tell you what, um, you know, uh, tell you what radio stations are playing your songs and what bars are playing those songs and everything. But they get uh, each of them gets like it's eight hundred million dollars worth of ad revenue from those songs. I was, yeah. I remember I was in Congress one time and they asked me. They said, uh, "They said, well, we know you got you know, you guys get a raw deal on you know on that and." you guys negotiated a bad deal. And it's like, well, we don't get to negotiate a deal. They actually just tell us what they pay us. Right. And there's a whole, I mean, we could go into what's called mechanical royalties goes all the way back to player pianos. We're still, we're still living, uh, well, except for this year, I think they passed the modernization act, music modernization act last year. But we were running on laws from 1910. You say player piano. Are you talking about those pianos where you would like the sheet music would just run through the, you the feed? Mechanical, like a mechanical yeah. license. When you get a mechanical license or mechanical royalty from, uh, which means, you know, something, if you download something or if you, uh, uh, or if you buy a CD, that's, that's, the songwriter gets a mechanical royalty. The word mechanical comes from player pianos, where it was the original, because nobody, those people who were paying, who were writing those songs that were on the pianos that played themselves, mm -hmm. weren't getting any money. 
So they come in and that royalty was two cents. It was like 1914, 19 something. Anyway, it was way back. So they got two cents for a mechanical royalty for, for each one. Okay. Fast forward 100 years. We're up to 10 cents. So we got an eight cent raise in a hundred years for mechanical royalties. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so how much is the robot piano making now though? That's the question. How much is the mechanical piano? Oh, I piano? know, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you're telling me that the laws from our federal government are not up to date and um best serving the citizens. I can't I know it's hard to believe. I cannot wrap my I know head what I'm saying doesn't make sense, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> oh, wow. Chris, this has been incredibly enlightening. I've learned so much. Before we go, though, before we started hitting record on this little thing, you, you shared with me a theme song that you had written for It's a Southern Thing, which I think that's what we've been missing all these years and is a good theme song. It just hit me today, and... uh <laughs> Yeah, let me see if I let me see if I can. Okay, but in the inspiration, doesn't it strike best in the like out of nowhere when you're least expecting it? If you sit down to think about trying to make something, it's never going to come to you. You got to let it blindside you. Yeah, and I mean this was this was a sucker punch of inspiration right here, right? So <laughs> I know, I know, yeah, I know. It, it's uh, okay, see, sure. Oh, and I have a little bitty guitar, by the way. That's why it sounds like this. If you can't see us. It's very small. Let's see if I can remember how, how. It's a southern thing. Hey, y'all, we fry everything. We talk with that southern twang. We wave at folks on the street. And all our tea comes sweet. Bless your heart if you don't agree. Yeah, it's a southern thing. Anyway, something like that. <laughs> Incredible. Listen, uh, for those of y'all listening to the podcast, uh, by the time you're hearing this, I'm sure that Chris has already gone to the studio. He's cut this, and it's probably <laughs> top of the charts right now. Oh, man, yeah. I'm going to look up and see what we've just – well, I'm sure we're about to pass here on uh, Apple Music's country music charts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's going number one. Let's see. Uh, I don't even look at the charts because it's usually not anything I want to listen to. Let's see here. A little slow. A little slow to love. Uh, that's Best New Songs. Where's, where's my chart at? Oh, charts. That would probably help. Top songs. Genres. You might have heard country. from my other songs. Uh don't bend over in the garden, Granny. Those taters have eyes. <laughs> uh, Louis Grizzard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, let's see. What's some other? I married a moonshiner's daughter. Now she makes me liquor. Um, <laughs> man, there's so many, you know. Here, I found it. Okay, so this, by the time you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure this, Chris has already gone to the studio, recorded this, put it out there for everybody, and I'm sure it's now at the top of the charts. I'm sure it is. Which is now topping 
all this chart uh, is um, 99% Morgan Wallen with a little bit <laughs> of Luke Holmes mixed in it, according to Apple Music right now. So there you go. Oh, man. Oh, okay, so talking about it, one of those, uh, okay, yeah, I'm getting old moments. I went to a thing the other day. Rory Feek is, I don't know if you know, Rory and Joey. Uh, uh, Rory, Rory Feek, he, he had a show called Rory and Joey on Gaither TV, I think is what it was. But anyway, so he cut one of my songs, probably one of my f- favorite songs I've ever written called Satan and Grandma. And um, he cut this song. He's, I want you to be there at this taping. So I go there at this taping and this guy sits down beside me and he says, Oh my gosh. He was there with his 14 year old son. He goes, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe we're sitting beside you right now. And I was like, what, what do you, he said, I was, he goes, my on the way here, my son said, had a song. He goes, dad, I want to, I want to play you this song. I love. And, and he said, okay, he goes, it's a Morgan Wallen song. So he played the song and he goes, Oh, that's awesome. He goes, you know, the guy, Morgan Wallen's dad, is supposed to be there tonight. <laughs> and he, he goes, really? He goes, yeah, you might meet him. And, and here we are sitting right beside you. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, no. I just looked at him like, what? Uh, and, 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 of course, the show started. And so we couldn't really talk. And at the end of it, he come up to you, Hey man, I just want to say, he goes, I looked it up because you spell your name different than. <laughs> he said, he said, so you're, so it's not your son. I was like, no. And I was like, yeah, yeah. That's the reason that I, I couldn't be his son because we spell our names different. Right. Listen, yeah, I'll be like, hey, yeah, that's weird. But I tell you, I tell you what, guess what? I don't usually do this, but for 50 bucks, I'll get both of you backstage. To meet Morgan, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm his dad now. I can pull that off. I know, uh, yeah, I know. So I was just like, really? Now Morgan Wallen's dad. Oh man, <laughs> I didn't know where that was going. I thought maybe it was going like I've seen a lot of people on Twitter over the last year and a half or so have been like, hey, I, you know what, uh, my. There's a great Morgan Wallen song out there that he wrote called Cover Me Up that uh, <laughs> I think you'll love. That one gets me every time. Uh, that's uh, that's the youngins in country music. Right oh, now, yeah. Show. Yep. Chris, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, if people, uh, again, tell us about the, the songwriting course, where they can find it, and then where they can follow you at on social media because you're all over the place, including TikTok now. I am. I re- What's so weird, I recently went viral on TikTok this last in the last two weeks, yeah, I, I went from 600 followers to 18,000, 19,000 now. I had a video go, uh, I have like one, it's got 1.1 million views. I've never had that in my life. It's so weird. And you didn't have to do a single TikTok dance to do it. Not one dance. They're coming, <laughs> but I didn't, you know. <laughs> just, just wait. <laughs> no. Boots good boogie will come soon. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, um. To all the songwriters out there, go to buildinggreatsongs.com and get on the that gets you on the email list and and you download a top ten costly mistakes new songwriters make. And uh, you can find me on any social media at the Chris Wallen W A L L 
I am. So uh, the Chris Wallen on any, I'm, I'm on all the social medias on that name. So uh, anyway, I, I'd love to see you. And thank you so much to Matt. I, I, I'm a huge fan of, of what you do. And, and thank you so much for having me on here. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks again for coming on. And I'm going to go ahead and have you co-sign my letter now to the concert organizers, especially the merch right. people to let them know we need big boy sizes of merch. Amen. Amen. I'm Rich. Matt Mitchell, co-sign Chris Wallet, without his permission, but I'm sure he'll understand. Don't blink stretchy jeans are coming. <laughs> I already have Actually, something to be proud of underwear. But I think don't blink stretchy jeans for, for big guys. It just says don't blink on the front, but on the back, it's like, you know what? Probably just go ahead and shut your eyes. <laughs> on second thought. <laughs> go ahead and shut them. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. 